I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle. And Karen. Today we're going to talk about teaching the love of stories. This is a good one for us, Michelle, because we both have been readers our whole lives. Yeah, and we've both encouraged our children to be readers. Yeah, and we don't have kids who were natural readers just from day one. You know, reading doesn't come easily to all of our kids. And so, I don't know, I, I get excited about teaching not just kids to read, but teaching them to love books, to love stories. So, we're going to start with a list of some basic tips, and then we're going to go into some detail after that. So, the first tip is to read aloud a lot. Read, read, read aloud to your children. It's kind of a tradition in both of our homes, I think. It's like, yes, we read aloud during school. I also read aloud to my kids before bedtime. We have just times that we gravitate to books in our home. And it's become part of the definition of what our family is. And I think it's made my kids fall in love with stories. I've watched your kids, Michelle, when they're all curled up around you. Like when we have family reunions, your kids will come gather around you in quilts on the couches and you read aloud to them before bedtime. It's like a special time in in both of our families. It is. And and we're going to get more into reading aloud in a little bit in this discussion. But... The second tip kind of goes right along with that first one, reading aloud, because it's audiobooks. Do you have like an Audible account, Michelle? Or how do you guys do audiobooks? Yeah, we have an Audible account, but our library also has... So you can borrow? The, yes, we can borrow them digitally. Of course, the library also has them actually on discs. And years ago, when we would go on vacation, I would go to the library and get like a bag full of these audiobooks. Now you can just put it all on your phone. It's very nice. Yeah. But yeah, on trips, we would listen to audiobooks all the time. We had such a hard time with that because every time I got like the books on disc from the library, we would get halfway through and then something would be horrendously scratched and we couldn't hear it. Did you have that happen with library ones? Occasionally, but we weren't shy about polishing them. (laughs) (laughs) Buff that thing up. (laughs) It's when you're on vacation, you don't have the, we're like, what happens next in the story? Yeah. But yeah, we have an Audible account that we share in our family so that if I buy a book, the kids have it on like all of their devices. Yeah, we do that too. Okay, and then the third tip is to read, then watch the movie, and then discuss it. You can't watch the movie first. No, it ru- well, it ruins the book, because what happens is, if you've watched the movie, then you've got the picture of the characters in your head from the movie. Like, yeah. you, the movie has already interpreted it for you, you know, the way the characters look, and, and it also changes, the movies change some of the events. They change, even big plot lines sometimes change in movies, and there's more of an investment in reading. It takes longer. You have to do more work. And if you watch the movie first and you know the ending, it doesn't feel as fulfilling to read the book, I guess. like it. Yeah. It feels like the hard work, like I already know the ending. I don't know. Do, do you use the movie as a reward? Often. Well, I shouldn't say I use it as a reward, but I tell my kids okay, we can't watch the movie until we finish the book. And they actually get excited for both that way. We read the book and then we watch the movie and make it like like pop popcorn and watch the movie and have it kind of be an event. 
And almost always the kids are like, the book was better. Yeah. That's one of the things that I like about discussing it afterwards. And it doesn't have to be a formal discussion. You just like, you've watched the movie and you're, you just talk to them about, oh my gosh, that was so different from the book. And they changed this and they changed that. And it does make kids realize books are more rich than even movies. You know, one of the things we always talk about when we're watching the movie after I say, were the characters what you pictured in your head? And the answer is always, no, no. no. Yeah. They had a different picture in their head. And, and that's why if you watch the movie first, it ruins your experience of the book. One of the interesting things that happens when I watch a movie, even if I've read the book first, I almost can't go back to the picture I had in my head of the characters. Does yeah. that happen to you? Yeah, I know. You just see the movie characters. Yeah. Harry Potter is now Daniel Radcliffe. It's yeah. Just that way. And you can't. <laughs> even remember who you saw before, even though I read those books for years before any of the movies came out, or at least before I saw them. Yeah. But yeah, that happens all the time. So you have to read it first. Okay. Tip number four, read things that are interesting to your child. So if your kid is into a particular thing, like maybe they're into dinosaurs, read a book that has dinosaurs in it. If they're into sports, read books with sports. It's important to, to gravitate towards things that will, interest your kids if they're they like adventure books then pick adventure books you know and I think those topical things apply to nonfiction and fiction yes my youngest son is really into airplanes and so I have found books for him about how airplanes work I found books for him about Amelia Earhart and other famous pilots and then we also try to find adventure stories about airplanes yeah and he gets really into them just because he's really into airplanes. And so, yeah, when, when my son was about 11 and 12 in that age range, he was extremely into dragons. We read every single book in the library that had anything to do with dragons from toddler stuff, clear up through adult stuff, anything that might have any dragons in it. He read every single book in our library. My kids are reading dragon watch right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's fun to see how excited they get. When it's a topic that they're really interested in. You pique their interest and it's not about reading anymore. It's about the topic. They're just thinking about what the content is and not how hard it is to read or how much time it takes to read. That's that's one of the reasons that I don't assign books very often to my in homeschooling. You know, mm-hmm. I instead I tell the kids go pick some books or I'll get a, a selection of books and let them choose from among them because I want them to find something that interests them that they will be drawn into because it's important to me that they enjoy the learning and not just trudge through it. You know, you know, I often hear layers of learning families talk about, Oh, I get so many books from the library and then we don't have time to read them all. I never worry about that. We don't read all of the books we get from the library, at least not in their entirety. I like to have available a lot of things and my kids read a lot of them. And then when we're done, we take them back. We don't, have to feel like we can't take it back to the library until every single one has been read. I just like to have the options there for them to choose. Yeah, from. I, I agree. And if you have a voracious reader, they will read them all on their own, whether or not you assign them. Yeah. Okay. The next tip, tip number five is read quality literature because the stories are better, but also don't reject the fluff. It's okay for your kids to read some things that aren't of the utmost highest quality. Right. Let them, let them read Junie B. Jones if that's what's getting them reading. Yeah. We kind of do a mixture. 
Yeah, we do too. I, I mean, I personally, in my own reading, I read fluff because I've been reading academic stuff all day long and then I need some fluff. I mean, we all need kind of a balance, I feel like. It's kind of the same as sometimes I'm in the mood to turn on Game Show Network and sometimes I want to watch a cooking show and sometimes I just want to watch like a mindless movie that's, you know, some adventure flick. I think reading is the same. You're going to have your things that you're in the mood for, that you're interested in at the moment, and that's fine. I don't think everything you read should have to be perfectly academic or... Or high-quality literature. High quality, yeah. But you should be introducing your kids to high-quality literature. I think if it's all fluff, they actually don't get hooked. Yeah, I agree. It, it, the books that you can discuss afterwards and have a, have themes and a purpose and a point are the ones that really stick with you. Yeah. So there are different purposes to reading. So some of it is just going to be for relaxation and fun. Some of it is going to be, hey, that's really thought-provoking. Some of it will teach you important truths or things. It kind of depends on what your purpose is. Yeah. But all of I, that's good. I do feel like when kids are really young and they're they're learning to read, they're in that stage, is it is more important to have them reading something that they are interested in and want to read than it is to have them reading high-quality literature. So... If you're going, if you want to introduce high quality literature at that stage, it should be in your read alouds. When the difficult part is the actual act of reading, you know, sounding out words and figuring out the phonics and all of that, that's hard enough. Their mind is not going to be focused on deep themes at that point. No, so, they're just getting through the words. Yeah. So they're just practicing fluency at that point in time. And then as they grow into it, their books will get deeper and deeper. And higher quality, I guess. Yeah. Okay, no, tip number six is goes along with what we were just talking about, actually, and that's let your kids pick their own reading books. I do this almost exclusively. I rarely assign anything. And if I do, it's usually pick one of these three. It's not even you have to read this one book. Because if you are choosing what you read then that teaches you that what you read is valuable and your choices, like it empowers you to be able to choose lifelong through your life, what you can read instead of feeling like I have to be assigned in order to learn something. They learn that you learn all the time, no matter what you're picking. I actually think that a lot of kids who hate reading hate it because it is assigned so often. It feels like homework instead of fun. And that's not just homeschool. That's across the board. Kids get assigned to read a lot and then they go, Oh, they don't like it. It's not something fun. It's not something they chose. It's something they were having to do. And yeah, and if you have a voracious reader, then that might not apply to them. When I was, I, I'm a voracious reader. And when I was in school, I got assigned a ton of books. I liked most of them because I'm a reader. I love reading. I read everything I could get my hands on. But that's not most kids, I don't think. You know what I've done with my kids? I gift them books. And so it's not assigned, but I gift it to them. Like you know? like for a birthday or at the beginning of the school year? Yeah, if I want them to read something really good. Like I did this with Charlotte's Web when my kids were little. I wrapped it up and they, you know, opened Charlotte's Web. That was a book that I wanted them to read. It's really basic, but it actually has really interesting themes. And so I wanted them to read it. And so I gave it as a gift. And that's, it created excitement about it instead of like an assignment. Yeah, I, I did that this at the beginning of this school year with 
we're we're on modern history right now in our homeschool. So we're we were going to be we haven't gotten to it yet, but we are going to be talking about World War One and World War Two and and these big major events of the 20th century. And I was like, well, I want my kids to read some stuff about it. So I found some books on Amazon, bought them, gave them to my kids at the beginning of the year in a gift bag with their other school supplies. And Garrett was like, oh my gosh, mom, this was the best book ever. How did you find it? Like he was really enthusiastic about it. But if I had said, you have to read this, I'm not sure he would have had that response. You know? Yeah. It's actually kind of the same thing in either way you're handing them the book but it just depends on your presentation it can change how your kids feel about it psychology matters yeah (laughs) yeah okay tip number seven for teaching the love of stories is to fill your home with books I feel like we talk about this a lot but you can't say this enough fill your home with books yeah I have books in every room of my house except maybe the bathroom but people just bring them to the bathroom (laughs) yeah But yeah, we have, the kids have bookshelves in their rooms. We have bookshelves in the living room. We have bookshelves in the computer room. We have, you know, they're, they're all over the house. And, and like you said, we give them as gifts. So Michelle, you are a very digital person. Like most of your life is very digital. That's true. I'm sure that you have quite a Kindle collection, right? I actually have kind of a small Kindle collection. Really? Yeah. See, I have a few, not very many. I like wait, wait, real books. I, wait, we're in competition now. I have a thing How for books. How many would you say? Kindle you books? Yeah. Oh, maybe 30. Oh, That's goodness. It. I beat you in the Kindle books collection and I'm not a digital person. I'm sure. That's amazing. You did. I, I have a thing for real books and bookshelves and having books on the wall. I was going to ask you if you've gotten rid of a lot of your books as you've built up your Kindle collection, but you haven't built up your Kindle collection. No. Because I would venture to say that, I mean, I've been in your home a lot of times. Every single room in your house has more than 30 books in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have thousands of books in the house. Yeah. So what so, happened to your Kindle collection? <laughs> <laughs> you just want to hold a book? I I like real books. Also, I do feel like if it's on your Kindle, the kids can't see it. They can't pick it up. They can't browse through it. I mean, technically they could if they're sharing your account, but they don't. They don't. It's not there in the room on the wall staring them in the face. I know? also have noticed that with my kids, if they do pick up a Kindle, they go to the games faster than they go to the books yeah like they don't they're I mean, not picking my, it up my kids reason. do audiobooks a lot but they do audiobooks while they're playing a game <laughs> you know <laughs> my kids listen to audiobooks every night while they're going to sleep like we have alexas in their rooms and so they're not allowed to have their phones or devices or anything in their rooms but they are allowed to have their alexas so they listen to audiobooks on their own every night um they have a lot more audiobooks than kindle books i have a lot of kindle books but even with all my Kindle books, I don't really get rid of my books. It's different for me. I love books. Well, if I didn't decorate with books, I wouldn't decorate at all. It is my only. Yeah. Your house would be empty. <laughs> it would be completely empty. <laughs> That's true. Books make a pretty decoration, even when you're not reading them. They are. They're lovely on They're the wall. Nice. Well, and I remember feeling pressure when I was a young homeschool mom. I was like, I don't have all the books that I want. And there was never a year where I went, oh, now I have unlimited budget to buy all the books that I want. But every year I just bought a few books and added Mm -hmm. to our library. And now all of these years later, we have quite an amazing library. Yeah. And now I'm like, I need more bookshelves. Yeah. (laughs) It's the shelves I need now, not the books. Yeah. (laughs) The, The last tip we've already talked about, but we're going to say it anyway. Number eight, give books as presents and don't ever apologize and say, oh, I'm sorry you got a boring present. No. 
Don't it's not do that. boring. It's not boring. It's thrilling. <laughs> it's, yes. So my kids, besides at the beginning of the school year, how I give them books, every single time they open their stockings, they each yes. get a book. Every birthday, one of their gifts is a book. It's just that's actually part of our culture. It's a tradition from our childhood, too. Mom yep. did that. Yep. We always got books, and yeah. we were always excited for the books because yes. I mean, we knew it was coming, but we didn't know what book it was going to be. Okay, you know how kids go to sleep on Christmas Eve at maybe 10 or 11 or midnight, right? They stay up forever, and then they wake up at 2 in the morning, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so at 2 in the morning when I was a kid, I'd go get my stocking. We were allowed to go get our stockings. We couldn't go to the tree, but right. we were allowed to go get our stockings right. whenever we woke up. I'd get my stocking, and I'd find the book. And I would read that book all night long until Christmas morning, until everyone, we were allowed to get up officially. Yeah, we had a time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we all knew that the book was coming. And we've continued that tradition with our kids. And, and my kids know that there's going to be a book, but they don't know what book they're going to get. They don't know get. which book. Yeah. And I don't know. Every single holiday, I, I love holidays. So even at Easter, there's a book in their Easter basket. Like, <laughs> yeah. All of the holidays, we just kind of, anytime there's a gift part, they know they're getting a book for one of their gifts. Okay, let's talk about reading aloud a little bit more. I think that deserves some time because it is so key to getting your kids learning, to getting them to love learning, to getting them to love reading. But beyond that, it creates a family bond, don't you think, Karen? Absolutely. And, you know, as we were talking about this leading up to it, I was looking at what we decided to call this podcast and it's not teaching your kids to love to read. It's teaching the love of stories. And that starts with read alouds long before they can even read. Like my kids were loving stories before they knew how to read. And that comes from reading aloud. It's mom sharing stories, them getting really involved in the characters and invested in the plots. And as soon as they're super excited about the story, they're not even paying attention to, oh, reading is hard. That's a hard skill to learn. They start ignoring that because they are invested in the stories. You know, every culture on earth that I know of uses stories. That's how they teach children. They start telling stories to the children, you know, before they can even talk. And, and they use it as a way of not just entertainment, but also to pass on the values and traditions and the culture of their people. Everyone across Earth does that. That's the entire concept of fairy tales and folk tales and all of those stories. And even like the African griots who were oral storytellers who passed down the history of their people. Stories have been a token of our society throughout the whole globe. Yeah. And that's what in our culture now reading aloud does. We don't often sit around in the evening and have a storyteller telling us stories. That's pretty rare, but we, instead we have replaced that with books. You know, we have the written word. And so if you're reading aloud to your child, you are passing on your culture and your values and your belief systems, whether you realize it or not. All kinds of important ideas stem from the stories that we tell. It's, and that, they're conversation starters. Yes, they, they are. They're conversation starters and they're also I mean, embedded in every book is some sort of values, even the fluffy ones. There's something there that tells you this is how we are. This is who we are as a people. Mm -hmm. And so when you read aloud, if you pick intentionally some, you want to pick things that are interesting to your kids, but you also want to pick things that will help them to be the kind of people you want them to be. 
Yeah. You know, like Summer of the Monkeys. That's one that we've talked about before because it was read to us when we were children by our mother. I've read it to my kids. Karen, I've read, read it to mine it? too. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's not a book that has... I wouldn't call it a super deep book, but at the same time, it does have themes. I mean, the boy in the story is persistent. He is in acting independently. He's not told to do things by his his family, but he does get help from them every now and then. Like it's, And then at the end, he has this big compassionate response to a family member's need, and he puts himself and his own desires aside. So it does have some big themes in there, in spite of it being just a, a adventure story. story about a, a 12-year-old who gets bested by a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> well, and most stories for children are like that. Yeah, they are. You look at the story and you think, oh, that was a really fun story. And then you take a second look and go, what are some things we noticed about the story? And you start to explore choices and themes and you can see more and talk about more. I, th- I think even if you just read it and you never discuss it, kids still absorb the idea that the boy was compassionate towards his sister and helped her with her needs instead of just getting what he wanted out of it. You know, I mean, I, I think that even if you don't discuss it, kids still pick up on that, mm-hmm. that idea of compassion and self-sacrifice. Well, and the other thing that happens when you share stories with your kids, it's kind of like the common stories from your family that, you know, the memories that everyone goes, oh, remember when and all of that. And you yeah. kind of build this culture the stories that you read together are also kind of building a common culture. It's things that you can talk about and have memories about and relate to and discuss, not in a an academic discussion, but, hey, that reminds me of the kid in the story, you know. Yeah. It just becomes part of your culture that you build on as a family. I, it also is part of your culture of your nation. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stories are chosen again and again in schools. Teachers choose them to have the children read them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like The Giver is an example of that in American schools. It's yes. often chosen as a book for that English teachers pick. And because so many kids end up reading that, it has become part of our common culture to know about that book and be able to talk about it and make references to it. Yeah. Lord of the Flies. Yeah, Lord of the Flies would be that way. There are those common things that we can say, oh, remember the lesson from this or how so-and-so acted in this. And it... Builds a common ground. And, and stories are that way. And stories don't have to be fictional. They can be stories about real people and real things. You can, you can read a story about a historical figure and their life, you know, that, that is a true story. Like, for example, we read the story of Harriet Tubman. There are lots and lots of books. You can read her story from many, many sources. But as Americans... We tend to have that character in common. We know what she stood for and what she represented and what she did for our nation. It's a common part of our culture. And true stories as well as fictional stories really can become that when we know the stories. Another reason that reading aloud really works is because reading is so hard at first. For most kids, it's difficult to learn to read. And it takes a lot of work. If you're reading aloud to your child, you have removed the work and just given them the pleasure and the learning at a time when they're not ready yet to do that on their own. And then they feel a little more motivated when they are beginning to read. Because they they know what the goal is. Yeah, they know the goal. They're already seeing the story investment. And they've watched you model it a lot. So it does make it easier, even though it's not going to take away reading difficulties for kids who struggle. You know, 
kids who are dyslexic, kids who just struggle in any variety of ways. It might still be really, really hard, but they'll have a bigger goal at the end when you've given them that gift of stories. Don't you think that kids model adult behavior? I, I think we sometimes think that as a parent, no matter what I do, my kids are just going to go follow the crowd or whatever, but that's not actually true. Kids model the adult behavior they see. And if you're modeling a behavior like reading is fun, reading is enjoyable, I love to read, then they will naturally gravitate towards that. Even if they don't become big readers later on in life, which they won't always, but even if they don't, they will still have a good feeling about stories and books and, you know, it still I think, is a happy thing for them. And they'll still read to their kids. Yeah, you know, I think like, so too. There's a love of books that can happen even with people who aren't addicted to reading. You know, we can love stories and be invested and know that it's a good thing and have happy, feel good memories. I mean, we've talked before about how our mom read to us and she'd sit in her rocking chair with us all around yeah, her. I have and, that picture in my head. Yeah, we can see that and we remember that. And it's this good feeling. We have the same feelings about going to the library mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's a good, happy feeling. And so kids can't help but get that when it's part of what you're doing all the time. When when the stories are a positive thing that you portray, it will become a positive thing in their lives. Even if they aren't like addicted to reading or, oh, I love to read. It, it's still a good, happy childhood. Yeah, I, I associate books in general and reading aloud in particular with this feeling of love and family togetherness. Yes. It's like a... And I think all children will, as they become adults, they will always associate books and stories and reading and spending that time in that way together as a family in a, it will be happy. They'll have, they'll have these good associations with it that, that link to love and family togetherness and. Yeah. And it, that's not the only thing we do in our families, but it's one thing that you can do. That's like, oh, this is a happy, feel good childhood memory that you can give your kids because it was just part of what your family did. Yeah. And because it's associated with books in particular, they will love books throughout their whole life. Mm -hmm. And then one thing, Karen, that I have noticed too, is that sometimes I will pick a book to read aloud that my kids would never pick up on their own. And it ends up being a hit, you know? Yeah. And, and it's something that maybe they wouldn't have chosen, but that because I'm reading it aloud, it's taken away the barrier of the difficulty of it or just something they wouldn't choose. An example, recently I read Gifted Hands. Uh, it was the kids edition of it. So it was a revised one, but it's by Ben Carson. He is a famous uh, surgeon. He works on, he's a brain surgeon and he works on especially people who have been conjoined, like conjoined twins and mm -hmm. he separates their brains. It's extremely difficult. He pioneered a lot of the techniques to do this kind of surgery and he's done surgeries all over the world in some of the most difficult cases and he hasn't always been successful and it was interesting reading the story because as a child he was a he was a black kid from a poor family raised in a rough town and his mom was like oh no you will read you will write you will do well in school and because she did that he rose above all of his circumstances and became this world-renowned surgeon and his brother is also very successful as an engineer. So it's interesting that the like the story is inspiring. Mm -hmm. And and it's not something that my kids would have picked up. But every day they were like, one more chapter, one more chapter. And it's nonfiction. You yeah. Know? You, 
you wouldn't expect them to go one more chapter on a nonfiction book about this neurosurgeon. Right. It's a neurosurgery is not something that is ever going to be in my, none of them are going to become a neurosurgeon. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just not going to be in their sphere of reality, but because we could read it aloud, they could step into that world and kind of see and they got invested in i'm gonna say in the character but it it was it's a real person but you know they got invested in the character in the story and wanted to know how it came out yeah they did i find that biographies often do that a well-written biography is an incredible read aloud because you get invested in these real people and go wow that's fascinating yeah i think People about whom biographies are written are usually people who have succeeded in some way in their life, right? Yes. I mean, I mean, and so everyone has struggles in their life, everyone. There aren't any people who don't have problems in life. And so when you read about someone who has overcome those problems or worked through those problems or their problems have actually made them into the person that was able to become successful, it's, it's inspiring. And I, I like reading those kinds of things aloud to my kids too, because again, we have that shared experience. We've all read about Ben Carson. They know who he is now. Mm-hmm. And, and we can all talk about, you know, well, you don't have it so tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, even if you do have it so tough, you can go, even when things are tough, other people have had it tough and look what they've done. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Because we all have times where it's so tough. But it's inspiring when you can read about people who have overcome and you can say, I can do that. I can overcome. The the family culture part that we were talking about and the societal culture, I think that's an important part of our modern society is that we can say things are tough and we can overcome. That's one of the messages of today that I love that my kids get to read in books. So, Michelle, you have your kids pick their own books mostly. You mentioned that. Why do you do that? If you are choosing what you want to read, you are going to pick something that interests you. And if you're picking something that interests you, then you will want to read it. And if you want to read it, you will enjoy reading books in general, and you will naturally gravitate to reading more and more things. If you are assigned, then you just have to do it, whether or not you want to, even if the book is boring and you end up not liking reading. But Michelle, what if you're teaching a unit, for example? So you, I don't know what unit you're on in layers of learning. What are you guys learning about right now? We are doing American government, actually, for for history. That's perfect. So American government, you want your kids to learn about, say, the three branches of government and federalism and the, you know, division between states and federal powers and things like that. And so you have this book that you want them to read. Let's say that your kids aren't voracious readers and you want them to have this information. How do you not assign it and get them to have the information? Like, Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. First of all, there's two different ways. One, again, I pick a variety of books. I'll get like five books out or ten books out. And it's on a variety of levels. And I'll say, here's some books about the Constitution. Go read one. Pick one to read. And that way they're still choosing. I, I have a selection and they have to choose one out of the selection, but they're still choosing. So do you actually read all of those? Do you know what? They're reading ahead no. of time? I mean, you just trust them? Because what if, what if there's like a topic that you're going, I don't know what's in this book and I don't know if my kid should read it. Do you not worry about that? Uh, I don't worry about it a whole lot, to tell the truth. I I feel like, first of all, I, I, I really honestly fully let my kids pick whatever they want to read. 
and we have talked about, you know, what makes a good a book a good book, what makes a book not such a good book. And they we have talked about philosophy and our discussions and and thinking about lots of things. I expect them to be able to come up with their own thinking on things. When you're talking about younger kids, it's all going to be pretty safe and not terribly biased. I mean, you know, with with little kids books, it's pretty it's not hard. Once they get well, into high with, school, that's when you're starting to talk about is, you know, things might not be true or they might be a little edgy or whatever. But by the time they're in high school, you probably should have taught them to be good discerners by then. Well, and don't you think with little kids books, you can pick it up in two seconds and make sure it's okay or it's not like it doesn't yeah. take you very long to read it. I have noticed that with my high schoolers, if they do see something that they go, hmm, I don't know, that seems kind of maybe not right or maybe biased. Yeah. They tend to bring it up to me. Yeah. You know, they say, and, mom, what do you think? And, and my kids will often be like, mom, I had to put down that book. It has bad stuff in it. You know, like things that offended their sensibilities in some way. And they will put it away all by themselves. And, you know, they're going to be adults in just a few years. They have to be able to do that. And if you don't ever let them do it, then how are they going to learn to do it on their own? If, if you're forcing it all the time, then they're just going to wait for someone to force it. And when no one forces it, they're going to do whatever they want. I mean, that's what happens. I believe in letting them be independent about that kind of stuff. I'm pretty permissive as far as letting kids do what they want. I'm not permissive as far as morality or, you know, what is right and what is wrong. I'm very firm about that. You're, but I let my kids judge for themselves. You're permissive about ideas and thoughts and concepts more than about actions. Is yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want my kids reading smut. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that. But but I do think that they have to judge for themselves what is smut and what is not smut. And so Again, well, if you're talking about eighth grade and down, there's not really smut in those books. I mean, you're not going to come across things that are objectionable very often. High school, yeah, you start to get into some, there's some books that I wouldn't read that are written for high schoolers that I'm like, oh, no, that's nasty, you know, or or even books that are, oh, that's completely wrong. But again, I think kids have to learn to discern for themselves. And if you're having discussions, if you've been reading aloud all these years, they've already read thousands of books. They've already learned how to discern what is good and what is not good. The more ideas that they're they're given from lots of different sources, the more they're able to discern that on their own. Okay, the second way, Karen, that I make sure my kids get the information that I want them to have is that I we read it together aloud. So, for example, we're studying American government, and so we're reading the Constitution together, all of us yeah. as a group. And sometimes I'll have Garrett read some and sometimes I'll have Isaac read a little. And we, we're just doing like one little passage at a time, sometimes just a sentence at a time, and then discussing it and talking about what it means. So most of the content things that you learn in a unit, for example, you're doing out loud together. Yeah. That, that's how my family yeah. does it too. And, and sometimes it's videos. It's not always books, but yeah. And then their extra reading they're doing on their own tends to be, that hey, is, you can learn yeah. more about it. Yeah, and and that is where I give them freedom to pick more, yeah. is, is in the extra stuff. And, and the extra things, the things they're reading on their own, I don't give assignments for because I haven't read a lot of it. I wouldn't know what to give an assignment on. And plus, that would force me to make lesson plans and do assignments for every individual kid. And I don't have time for that. So You have too many <laughs> just, kids for that. Well, I only, <laughs> you know, I only have three now Well, homeschooling. You still have but other still. children. Even adult, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're sitting here, both of us now, with adult children. Even adult children give you grief sometimes. They do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Even when they're not in your homeschool every day. Yeah. No. But they do. I mean, your family responsibilities take time, and you can't actually read every single book that all of your kids read from cover to cover. 
necessarily. I mean, you and I have been reading our whole lives and still our children outnumber us. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> they still read ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. I also think that when you like when I go pick up books from the library, you mentioned that you're not super discerning about what your kids read. And I'm not exactly either, but I do thumb through books, even when I'm at the library to go, okay, what, what do we think? Is this interesting? And I can pretty quickly tell whether it's like, this is just boring or, yeah, you know, it's not just all, is it inappropriate or wrong? It's partly, this isn't a good book. There is a yeah. difference. There are yeah. good books and there are books that you just go, wow, how did this get this published? This is boring. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I often do take just a minute to thumb through books. I read little bits and, you know, read a few passages. In some things, you can very quickly detect slants, you know, in, yeah, in historical things. And so I do take some measures of being discerning. I also end up with favorite authors that I go, okay, I know anything by this author I'm going to love. I, I sometimes purposely pick things that are slanted away from my personal beliefs for my kids because then we can discuss it. I want them exposed to a different idea and I can say, I don't believe this and this is why, this is my reasoning behind it. Or I can ask them, what do you think about this reasoning? And they have read so many things. They have so much information that they have a frame of reference to judge things on because they've read so many books. If you don't read, if you don't learn then you have no frame of reference and you can't judge things. You know, one of the things that I've taught my kids is if you read books from two different slants, often the truth is in the overlap. Right. It's not that one side or the other is completely right. It's that there's truth somewhere in the overlap. So read both sides and then see where they overlap. And that's probably closer to the truth than and, you can get either uh, yeah, way. Yeah, and, and reading two different sides also helps you see how people can think so differently. It really does make you much more able to judge for yourself and what you really believe. Exactly. Because if you only read things or only allow your children to read things that are from your point of view, and then at some point in their life, they're going to be exposed to that other point of view. You know, how are they going to handle it when they are? Are they going to reject it out of hand, everything that new that comes along? Or are they going to just glom onto the new thing and say, oh, well, I'm getting rid of whatever mom told me. And, you know, just out of reaction. I want my kids to think about it. I don't care in the future if they pick a different belief system than I have, but I want them, I do care if they do it just because they're rebelling. I want them to have thought it through and be deliberate and to know what they're doing. And besides just life view type things, I also think that that applies to writing skills and even I'm going to say college skills like that deeper thinking approach that they expect in college. It really helps kids to prepare for those scenarios, you know, when you're writing a comparison contrast essay, you have to be able to look at both sides and kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. And it teaches kids to analyze things in their minds. So it's good for life. It's good for academics. It's good for all of it, for them to really see two sides and understand how different viewpoints form. Okay. So Karen, what is your approach to helping your kids find things that they will be interested in for reading, you know? Like reading on their own? Yeah. You know, we go to the library a lot. That's kind of, as I mentioned, it's part of our family culture. We go to the library. And so a lot of their things that they're choosing are from the library shelves. And so I just walk with them and kind of say, hey, what, what are you finding? What are you looking at? And sometimes I make suggestions and things like that. I also pick things up off the shelves. I mean, ahead of time, 
I basically make a list in our library's website for our unit books, you know, those unit topics. And then the library already pulls them aside and I just get to pick up the holds that they have. But then while we're there, we go and just peruse shelves together. And I encourage my kids to get a big variety of things. They have their favorite shelves all mapped out. They know where their favorite fictional books are. Do you ever require them? Like you say, you have to pick a science book. You have to pick a fiction book. Like, do you do those so most of those things are things that I've already put on hold because they go with our unit topics. Okay. But then I'll also just recommend things. I don't require it, but I'll say, oh, this Look is a really good book. book. Hey, I just found this book. I think you would be into it. And I'm not manipulating, but I am kind of um, nudging. Nudging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I try to draw their attention to a lot of things. And if they say, no, mom, I don't want to read that. We put it back on the shelf. I don't say you have to read it. Do your kids read magazines at all? I think that's overlooked sometimes, but magazines can be really good, especially if it's on a topic that they're into. Yeah, they they do. When they were littler, we subscribed to more magazines. I think just when we moved, like a lot of our magazine subscriptions ran out, and I, I we aren't subscribed to very many right now. But when they were littler, they loved National Geographic Kids, and we were subscribed to like, Six or seven. Ranger Rick. Ranger Rick. Yeah. Family fun, but that was more for me. (laughs) (laughs) We had quite a few magazine subscriptions and they read them like crazy and got craft project ideas and all kinds of things. Recipes. Recipes. Yeah. We don't do as much now that they're. They're older. Things change. Yeah. But our our library has those kinds of books to check out or magazines to check out for kids too. I should go to the library. I've never even noticed them in our library. Our our library has them. I bet that they, I bet yours does Ours probably does. It's a big library network. I just haven't really looked here. So magazines are a good good place to go to. Now I have something on my to-do list. And when kids get a little older, you know, they can start reading the adult magazines. You know, they can read Motorcycle Magazine or they can read... bicycling magazine or you subscribe to runner's world for years yeah runner's world (laughs) from the time I was a teenager yeah yeah and then you know whatever they're interested in National Geographic too that's a great one for once they're high school you know that's more on their reading level magazines are great because you can read them in little stitches you know it's like you can read an article or you can get really into it and read a bunch of articles but it's less of a an investment to pick it up well and like you said a lot of magazines especially the ones for kids will have things to do and I have a bunch of hands-on kids and that kind of thing uh, appeals to them you know they want to try to actually make the recipe or follow the directions to make the craft project yeah and and in order to do that they have to read but it's in a way that they want to like it's approaching them on their interest level and what they're into and they tend to be very colorful and graphically interesting and it's easy to pick up a magazine and and get into it quickly. I think you kind of have to apply that same thing to books. Sometimes we think, okay, I have a high school age kid. They can only read really big, long, deep books. And that's just not true. My high schoolers love the middle grades books and I do too. Often that is the right amount of information. It is. Even for me personally, Sometimes I really enjoy reading those, I guess, young adult or, you know, not the really tiny little kid picture books as much. I read those to my little ones, but those don't have quite enough information. But kind of the middle grades ones, especially for nonfiction books, you get a lot of information in not a lot of time. And it has pictures. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they tend to be, a lot of them are really well written. They are well written. They're done by professional publishers that do a very good job not only in the writing but in putting it together the whole presentation is really well done yeah on, on those books so 
at the library, what have you done to teach your kids, Karen, how to use the library so they can find what they want? Well, I will say this. One of the things that I had to teach my kids is that librarians are their friends. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't just say, shh. <laughs> yeah. I encourage my kids when they can't find something, hey, that's what the librarians are for. They can help you. But I've also taught my kids how to use the computers. If you actually understand the computers at a library, they can do incredible things. Like the advanced searches are pretty amazing once you learn how. We actually went and did a workshop with one of our librarians. Um, it was actually when we lived in your library system, Michelle. Oh, yeah. Up, up in Sandpoint, we were there, and the library had this workshop where they were teaching families how to use better searches. The class was geared towards children. Yeah. In yeah. fact, it was something that they had done for homeschool families specifically. So it was kind of neat because yeah. it was during the school day, but there were a bunch of homeschool families there. And the librarian walked them through exactly how to conduct really good searches using the library system. And every library system is different. And so it's kind of important, even if we told you exactly how to do it, it would be different in your library system. But the librarians are an awesome resource for helping. If, if you like called that. ahead and asked them if you could set up a time that they could teach your kids how to do it, they would do it. They'd be thrilled. Yeah, I think that they would. So online catalogs, big deal learning how to use that. But also the Dewey Decimal System for nonfiction is incredible because if you know what the numbers mean, you can go right to that section and just browse for the books you want. So like, for example, if you're looking for history, it's in the 900s. So you're going to go to the very end of the nonfiction stacks and there you're going to find all the history things. And you can just browse through. Most libraries have it divided into junior nonfiction is separate from the adult nonfiction. Yeah. So depending on how old your kids are, but either way, the 900s in every library across the world include history. So most people don't really understand how the Dewey Decimal System works, and it's actually really awesome. So every single section of numbers has a topic. So if you take yourself to the nonfiction section of your library and you understand what the numbers represent, you almost don't even need to look certain things up in the computer system because you can just walk right to it. But you have to understand what the numbering system is. So, Michelle, let's just walk everyone through what each section of numbers means in the Dewey Decimal System. And then just know that online you can find lots of graphic guides to the Dewey Decimal System where it will show you exactly what is in each section. But we'll just really quickly walk you through what you'll find and how it's organized. So from 0 to 99... That the first section of numbers is going to be general stuff. It will have things like data processing, computer stuff, library information, encyclopedias will be there, news type information is there. And then in the hundreds, that's philosophy. It also has like ghosts and paranormal stuff in that section. Yes. <laughs> it's funny because the nonfiction section includes things that technically are fiction. It'll include things like fairy tales, and stuff like that. So it's really divided more into fictional stories that are I'm stories, gonna, I'm novels, say fun, but it's not necessarily fun. But yeah, novel type, and then like the exploration of true topics. But it's not always true, right? So so paranormal is in that hundreds, and um, psychology, logic, and ethics. Those are all in the hundreds. Then if you go to the two hundred section, it explores religion, and that's not one specific religion. You'll find books about all kinds of world religions, 
theories about religions, you will see specific things about like Christianity or another specific religion, but you'll also see the history of religion, all kinds of things yeah, surrounding anything that, topic. that has to do with religion. Yeah. yeah. And then the three hundreds are the social sciences like economics, law, uh, sociology, folklore. This is where you're going to find fairy tales and things like that in the three hundreds. This was my section when I was in college. It's the education section. So I read like everything in the three hundred. <laughs> Dewey Decimal section because it's education and also political science is in the 300s. So it tends to be kind of the academic humanities area. Yeah. The 400 section is languages. So you'll find everything from a Spanish English dictionary to you'll actually find books written in other languages. So if your kids are learning French and you want to find a little storybook in French, it will be there in the 400 section. Also instructional, like a lot of libraries will have sets of books that are for learning Spanish, yes. and that would be in that How section How to learn too. Mandarin, yeah. yeah. Some even include more like flashcards and things like that. It depends on your library, but there's a lot of tools for languages in that And section. dictionaries yeah. in English are there too. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the 500s is... Science, science and math. This is your row. This is my row. Yeah. So every in the 500s, you'll find math, astronomy, physics, biology, earth science. If you want to find a book about volcanoes, go to the 500s. That you just head right there, and you can start browsing through science. The 600s is technology. So this is still science, really, but it's more of the applied sciences. You'll find medical science, engineering. Things like agriculture and farming. Gardening how-to books are there. Exactly. Yeah. Also, you'll find things about how to build a tree fort in your backyard, like construction and things like that. Yeah. That's actually my kids' favorite section. They like that area? <laughs> well, most, a lot of them, yeah. I've, I've got, like I said, I have a lot of hands-on kids, and they'll be like, ooh, how to build something. They and want so, a project book. Yeah, they want a project book. Yeah, it's, it's right there in the, the 600s. 600s. The 700s are the arts. And this, again, this is kind of Karen's section. Yeah, I yeah. love I love this area. It's got paintings and architecture and sculpture and photography. And again, you'll find the fine arts and you'll also find really applied arts. Like, yeah, like how to watercolor paint. Exactly. How to do cross stitch, how to do mm -hmm. knitting. All that stuff is in there too. And then in the 800s, that's the literature section. You'll find things like Letters, speeches, essays, poetry, literature from different parts of the world. It's kind of the examination of writing. It's interesting because 800s is fiction. So you will find fiction books in that 800 section. Usually it's what we would consider like the great books of the world, like the high literature would be there. Because libraries usually have a separate fiction section. But technically, fiction actually just all of it belongs in the 800s. But usually, your typical novels are in a different place in the library. And they're done by author last name instead of by the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, the, the library is generally divided into here's the nonfiction section and here's the fiction section. But in this part of the nonfiction section is where you'll find... A lot of great literature. The yes. Kind yes. Of. Moby Dick might be there. And <laughs> also, you know, Shakespeare is there. All the poets. You're going to, if you want it, if you're looking for a poetry book, go over to the 800s. And that includes, you know, Jack Prelutsky children's poetry too. It's yes. not just Shakespeare. Right. There are lots of, lots of options over there. 
also in the 800s humor joke books if you yes, want joke books yes that's that's where you go and yeah the kids section usually has a pretty hefty joke book section <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the last section, the 900 section of the Dewey Decimal System, is geography, history, and biographies. And so the 900 section has things like travel books and talks about the ancient world and the different continents. And everything that is a biography book is in the 921 section. So you'll see all of these books that just say 921, and then it'll be by the last name of whoever the biography is about. So anytime you're looking for a biography... You can just skip the computer completely, go over to 921s, and you'll see the people by name that all of the biographies are written about. Yeah, and in our library, that's true in the adult section, but in the junior section, they have actually pulled the biographies aside and made their own special section for that. And they don't have the Dewey Decimal number on the spine. That's just our library does it that way for the kids. Different libraries that we've lived in do things really differently they generally all use the dewey decimal system but they often pull out different things like for example holiday books are often included in the dewey decimal system but at the same time libraries frequently just completely put them aside when it's not that holiday and they have a special holiday highlight shelf and they'll just come out for the upcoming holidays yeah that happens and and put them back at other times but different libraries do it differently the more you get to know your library the more fun it will be for your kids to find books because they just will know where to go once they learn the system. Yeah, and I think having your kids be really familiar with the library is like the key to lifelong learning in a lot of ways because if you go to the library, you can learn anything. You don't have to sign up for a class. You don't have to spend any money at all. You can learn just about anything in a library. And you can kind of fall in love with books. It's, It's kind of the... Belle and Beauty and the Beast principle, like, you know, wow, mountains of books, you know, and she gets enthralled by that. And that's what libraries are to our kids. It gets to be this, oh, my goodness, the options are endless. I know. Who cares about the beast? I want that library. (laughs) Well, if the beast brings the library, then. (laughs) But I know I want the library with the with the fancy ladder that. Oh, yeah. You know, that's my dream. I know. I don't have that in my house yet. I know. I, I want to own the New York City Library. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like the big library downtown in New York City. I love going to big, huge if, libraries. <laughs> <laughs> big, fancy library. Make a lot of people happy with books. Yeah. So overall, we hope that you will teach the love of stories to your kids. Reading to them. audiobooks, Reading before you watch the movie. Getting things that are interesting to your kids. And choosing quality literature along with an occasional bit of fluff. Letting them pick their own books, filling your home with books and giving them as presents, and then really familiarizing yourself with the library. Those are the ways that you're going to help your kids really love not just books, but the stories within them so that they connect with reading. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family-style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.